This is the Epic Life Podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. My name is Eric Knopf, and this is our very first interview podcast episode. At the outset, let me admit that this first episode was a complete accident. I actually just sat down with Eric Waterbury with the intent just to kind of test the sound equipment and we're joking around. And then I asked him, why do people reach out to you when they light their lives on fire? And the conversation that followed was really profound. It was a total accident. But this conversation will help you understand how to walk with people through their pain, as well as understand the effects on ourselves when we self-destruct. It's really good, and I hope you enjoy this impromptu conversation. So here we go. I think we're recording. Welcome to the Unconfessed Sin Podcast. <laughs> I can't wait for you to tell all of your new sins. Why don't you go first, Eric? No, I insist. Oh, awesome. Um, cool. This is kind of fun. I uh, will take a few minutes and ask you questions. I know you're unprepared. Um, but on the subject of people who burn down their life, mess it up, they make a catastrophic decision, you're the first phone call that they usually make. Why is that? Wow, that uh, brings me, that gives me a lot of tears. I think it could be because you can say anything you want to say to me and I'm not going to slap you or tell you you're stupid. I'm going to sit there and listen until you're done telling me what you've done. And I have a lot of compassion for people like that because I've done this more than once in my own life. So maybe it's just all of the pain I've put myself through and the times I've rebuilt it have taught me a respect for the pain that other people create for themselves. And I also have a belief that no matter how deep, how deeply you burn your life down, that you can build something back. I think that might be part of it. When someone makes a huge mistake and you get that phone call, what are the emotions that they're dealing with and what do you usually say in response to it? The emotions they're typically dealing with are shame first. Um, and then depending on the person, it can be all different kinds of things, but it, uh, typically it's shame followed by I'm, I'm really stupid. Uh, I'm a piece of trash or something more descriptive than that. And uh, my life is over. That's typically where people start. And what do you say in response to that? I just tell them, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry this has happened. It makes me really sad. And you actually kind of taught me to do that better than I started out doing. Because you've done that with me more than once. So I tell them I'm really sorry and um, ask them if they're, are you ready to talk about it? Um, sometimes it depends if they're really out of control emotionally, then I just start saying truthful, loving things to help them bring themselves down because it's easy to let your soul get out of control and not know how to manage it. And um, especially when you feel like you've just uh, torched your life. And so it's 
just important to me to return them to some level of sanity. And the greatest way to do that is just to let them ex explore all the feelings that they're uh, experiencing and then to just help them find a way to bring their, their soul back together some. Because when you do things like that, it fragments your soul. It hurts your heart, it hurts your mind, it hurts you on so many levels. And typically, it's, it's when, you, when you totally torch your life, it's not something that other people can see coming. And so uh, there's all kinds of feelings that come with that, denial sometimes, um, fear, a lot of fear. Um, tons of insecurity. Every insecurity that you've ever had completely is highlighted because you feel like people are going to leave you and never come back. And so probably more than anything else, it's just, I'm really sorry. And uh, we're going to get through this. Can you talk more about the fragmented soul? What are the destructive forces that come from a fragmented soul and how would you describe it or define it? Uh, I actually believe that we do a lot better job with teaching theology in the church than we do helping people become comfortable with their own soul. We are really good at regurgitating verses and giving all, all of our divine revelations and all of the newest uh, ooh-ah stuff that we've gotten from God from the Bible, but we never teach people to just be comfortable with their soul and, and what makes up your soul. And I don't uh, purport to be an expert on this because I'm just figuring all this stuff out. I've really been on my own journey, discovering my soul for the last probably two years because I know a lot of theology and I listen to a lot of theology. I've, I have a bunch of amazing friends, but my soul and the things that I felt like the death grip, I felt like my soul was locked in, really kept me from really knowing how to walk out the gospel. So I've been on my own journey with that. <clears throat> so when it comes to helping people uh, from personal experience, my the enemy loves, and we do have an enemy. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. And we forget that often. We love to quote those verses, but then when someone does something stupid, then we beat the crap out of their soul. And we, we act like we never read the verses because they don't really matter. So um, I think one of the most important things to establish for people as soon as they can stop crying is that you're a son or you're a daughter and nothing can shift that. And whatever you've done the only people who are going to attack you and come against you are people who don't know that they themselves are sons or daughters. Because all of us who, are, who know that we're sons and daughters, we know that we're capable of anything. And um, the more orphaned people are, the more they love to pick up verses and beat those that they like to think are less uh, spiritual or mature. They love to beat them with those verses. When you're truly walking sonship, you don't have to do that because Christ just floods out from you. 
And a lot of times it's only great brokenness that will teach you uh, great depths of sonship. So I think when your soul starts being fragmented, uh, most of the time confusion sets in immediately. And, and it's really hard to do even practical things. So I don't focus on all of the verses that I could hand them at the moment, or um, I don't I don't focus on even where they're at emotionally. I try to pay attention to where they're at uh, on a practical level. Are they in a safe place? Is there anyone near them that could help them if I happen not to be in the same city? Because I, I work with people I work with many people who don't live in my city. And uh, if they're, if they do live in my city and they've, they've just really torched their life, then I go wherever they are because the enemy loves to fragment us. Uh, He loves to make us feel like everything is over. And so sometimes we will make choices that we would never make. Um, We make those choices because no one got to us in time. So I don't take the responsibility for their choices, but I do try to get to them as soon as I can because it helps just to see someone standing um, next to you or um, looking, sitting across the table from you who is unafraid of what you've done. When you talk to someone and you're like, you're a son, you're a daughter, What's the effect that's taking place in them? Why do you do that? What are you aiming for? And what's the intended effect for someone to come into that realization? Because one of the things that the enemy wants to fragment, if he can, is your identity. And he knows that if I look, stand across from someone and tell them, you're a son or you're a daughter, that the sooner that they look into my eyes and come to their senses and actually begin to shake off the toxic effects or whatever uh, things they've done. Sometimes people do really horrendous things. Um, and I've, I've walked that out on, on a personal level when I've chosen to torch my own life several different times. Um, <clears throat> it's very helpful just to have people who sit next to you and tell you that your life is not over. Can you talk a little bit about how you are unimpressed by people's failures? In memories of, of you, I think people would think that, oh, I'm going to really surprise him. Like, he's really not going to believe what I did. And uh, you're kind of an underwhelming response. <laughs> Let me say it like this. Um, whenever I have spiritual sons and daughters, and that means... Uh, kind of like Paul and Timothy. And you never heard Paul explain that Timothy was his spiritual son. He just called him a son of the Lord. Um, And I once had a son tell me some pretty heinous things that he had done uh, during an engagement, which eventually ended his marriage. And I just uh, sat there and listened to him. And uh, I just clearly communicated your your failures, whatever you're doing, they are so much less than the blood of Jesus. And I guess I believe that so deeply. I've learned that with my own, as I've struggled with my own flaws, my own struggles. Um, 
in the church, we want people to look really sad and be very beaten for an extended period of time so that they, we can see that they know the gravity of their sin and how powerful their sin was and how many people it hurt. And so uh, we create a weak body and people outside in the world watch us and they're like, wow, why would I want to be a part of that? And uh, I don't think that sins impress God. They, I do think they make his heart sad because God is the ultimate father. But um, I think he just wants us to get up. You know, Isn't the, the saying that the church shoots their wounded? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Why so- is that? I think there's a lot of easy answers for that. I I just think, I guess I'd rather approach it from becoming a person that doesn't uh, ever touch that gun. Um, it, when I was younger, I uh, because of my giftings and some of the critical thinking that I had. And I'm, I was very analytical. I, I st- I'm still very analytical, but I've learned to make that shut up and listen to the spirit of God. Um, I just think that the more I've grown in the Lord, the less I'm willing to point a gun at anyone because I've gotten to know my soul so much better and I'm fully capable. I've rarely see anyone do something that if I had the same life experiences that they had and the same lack of support that they grew up with or some of the just horrendously debilitating things that have occurred in their lives. I'm totally capable of those things. So my uh, first thought is just to hug someone. My um, mom was amazing. Uh, She's my parents were in the ministry and every time someone would uh, die, my dad would call my mom, Barbara, I'm going to run by and pick you up. So-and-so just died because my mom would just walk in and she knew that she couldn't say anything. All you do is just put your arms around someone. Don't try to make sense because they're so fragmented. They're not going to remember anything you said. And don't try all of your little favorite verses. Just shut up and hold somebody and just let them cry and get it out. Um, I think the less we worry about being powerful, what the church likes sometimes defines as powerful men and women of God. And the more we just sit with someone and love them and be there until they can stop crying and then eventually start thinking and then remind them who they are when they do start thinking. And then just tell them we will get through this. Going back to torching someone's life, this self-destructive force, what are the causes and what are the reasons or what are the circumstances that would allow someone to move towards self-destruction in some of the ways that you've witnessed? Uh, it can be all kinds of things. Some of it can be things that have, that have happened to people. And if you have enough of those things happen as you are growing up, um, if you hear enough word curses 
spoken against you, if you go through experiences, whether it's molestation or bullying, any number of things that devastate and fragment your, your sense of self, uh, it can take you there. It, sometimes people, parents will try to protect their children and overprotecting their children, they don't prepare them for pain. And so whenever they get into the adult world, nobody's there. Your mama can't hold your hand all your life. <laughs> and when she stops holding your hand and patting you on the head and telling you what a great person you are, and you got to think for yourself, if you don't have any data to support that, that you pick up as you fall down, get up, fall down, get up, and realize, oh, I can actually survive falling down and getting up. It, it can be any number of things. So I don't think there's really... Um, there's not a pat answer for that. It's just going back to, we have an enemy, a spiritual enemy who is the enemy of our soul. And so he studies us, super patient, knows us pretty well, sometimes better than we know ourselves. And I think if there's any um, protection against torching yourself, it's getting to know yourself. T.D. Jakes said something on a podcast that he and Stephen Furtick did recently. And he said, uh, a bunch of you people out there, you're so busy dating everybody else, you never date yourself, so you don't know yourself. And I thought that was such a powerful concept, such a powerful thought. And for myself, it's just date myself. What do you like? Man, when you get up, how ugly do you look? And when other people think that you are, you know, you're on top of the world, are you? It's just getting to the place where you're comfortable. One of my sons came in the other morning and he asked me, how are you? And I said, I'm okay. And he goes, just okay. And I said, I don't get up every morning to make your day. Today, I'm just okay. And that's good enough. And if you need better than that, you're going to have to look around. <laughs> And he was like, he was healthy enough to go, that was a great answer, Pops. <laughs> so that's just, you know, it's just get to know your own soul. We've had a bunch of tools in our, our community that have helped us to do that. I actually have little um, websites, about eight or 10 of them that are free. And I just text them to people when they show any level of hunger. So. What are the positive benefits of learning yourself and dating yourself and, and this idea that I learned to, to know me, what positive outcomes come from that? Uh, feeling good on your, feeling okay about yourself on your worst days and being your own friend. And so, you know, when I do things, even that disappoint me or, or I, Someone recently sent me a podcast on uh, procrastination, your wife, as a matter of fact, Camille Knopf, the gorgeous. And when I read, I thought, oh, that's a nice article. And then I read it and I was like, holy cow. So I made a list of all these things that I had actually been, I thought I was just wasn't getting around to them. No, I was procrastinating. And through that list, I really began to to make some progress. So 
you mentioned about being your own friend. Yeah. And that st- sticks out to me because sometimes the voices in your own head are actually worse than your own critics. Oh, yeah. Can you talk about how when you're not your own friend, what that can do to you and the effects of, of having this kind of internal enemy that is in your own voice against your own life? Yeah. It's, it's, those voices come from a lot of different places. Uh, sometimes it's things that people have said, sometimes, and then you begin to agree with them. Um, I think self-talk is so important. And the more that I've um, gotten to know myself, uh, I think transparency, which is allowing my own thoughts to come up instead of staying busy or numbing myself out to what I don't want to deal with, but just letting my real thoughts come up. Um, I have always been an external processor until the last two or three months, maybe. Um, and so I, I always had to talk in front of other people and that was really helpful. Um, I don't, I, I'm careful who I do that with. So I have an inner core of, of inner core circle among my relationships and I would just tell them this is what I'm thinking or I would just describe this is what happened and then just you know can you see anything there that I can't see and that would help me get to the bottom of myself and get to know myself better and it helped me clear out a bunch of trash uh, in my head and then remembering and respecting that person sometimes for myself I think I always had a lot of shame uh, attached to my core identity. So it was really hard to make those voices be quiet because they had a lot of power and a lot of people seemed to agree with them. And the place that I came from kind of made me feel like I needed to agree with them too because they seemed really logical. But the beautiful thing about having God as your father and going back to your identity as a son is that he's not uh, logical. His love is just so amazing. And so I think uh, the more that you become aware of his love, and so often that's through people, you know, especially if you've had a lot of damage uh, growing up. And even like I I had a substantial amount of damage uh, through molestation in my teen years. And when you've had a lot of that, kind of damage, it's very hard to find the courage to disagree with something that seems so logical. And so uh, it was finding people who loved me, no matter what I did or said, and then beginning to agree with them. And I, I'm actually kind of a, have been a long haul project of mine for all my life. So I think when people do things, when they torch their lives, I have a huge capacity to believe that you can rebuild because I've had to rebuild. And I've, I've always been in the slow class on loving my soul and knowing how, how to do things right. I feel like in the last probably year and a half, or two years, I've made some pretty good progress. But man, some days I'm still fairly disabled. And so the courage that I've found to put my arms around myself on those days and to accept myself and then to, when people come to me with a torch soul, to put my arms around them, um, 
that's where a lot of it comes from. It's just offering this, the same, we say the same bread. I, I'm from Texas. I prefer to think of it as steak. Offer them the same steak I'm chewing on. So not everyone is uh, fortunate to be in a relationship with you to have you walk alongside them yeah. through life when it gets set on fire. To those who might be in the middle of the current fire of their life or yeah. have recently torched their life, they don't have someone like you. What would you suggest and how would you guide them um, wherever they are? That's a pretty broad question. Um, and I, I really hesitate to answer it because, because of the people who could be listening in a really desperate place tonight. So, and I, I have been in those places before. So I guess I feel a lot of emotion as I'm even describing. Uh, I think you have to, when you're in that place, stop and think if you know uh, anyone that you feel safe with in, in your current, you know, is there anybody that no matter what I ever did was always there and not to be afraid to go back and just reach out to that person. Cause if you had that connection at one point, I'm assuming that you don't have anyone. If you had that connection at one point, then your chances of finding support from them could be strong. I think I'm so careful because I've, I've actually known times of being very devastated. And I think more than anything else, it's just asking God just to come into your current situation before you even try anything else. Just God, you see me and you may be so broken. You don't even know how to pray. Just say whatever words come to your heart because he's a father first and foremost. And so I know for myself, when my kids are broken and when they've done, I've had some pretty wild kids for the most part. Um, my first thought is not to correct them. I just want to get to them physically wherever they are. Um, I've paid a lot of money to fly places and drive places and just to be next to them. And um, I think the other thing that I um, would encourage you to do is think of someone in your life that seems like a really whole person and uh, ask them if they know of a counselor that might be able to help you. I'm, I still feel insecure to even answer this <laughs> because uh, whenever, when you're super devastated, it's so hard to have good judgment. Um, but that's probably the two things I would do. And then if you can't think of, um, I'm not above calling a hotline, um, for whatever issue you're dealing with, you know, because typically there, there are responsibilities that they are legally held to. So hmm. I think a lot of times churches can be helpful, but churches can also be really unhelpful sometimes too. And so I, th I think a lot of times people turn to pastors quickly for counseling, but I don't know that every pastor is necessarily a good counselor. So I don't really, um, that's not my first place to send people to. Fun. 
Well, this went a lot better than I thought it would go. So as our first attempt at this, this was fun. And uh, let's do it again. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for listening. We're going to do a lot more of these podcasts. And our podcasts are on iTunes, on our website at epiclife.org. And if you want us to text you the link when they get released, join our text message list. You can do that by texting your name to 916-246-2468. See, that just kind of skips by twos. 246-2468. Text your name there. And then after subscribing, reply podcast. And then when any new episode gets released, we'll text you the link. And it's totally free. If you're in the Northern California region, join us for one of our monthly gatherings, and you can grab tickets to our upcoming gathering by going to epiclife.org slash tickets. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.